Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, and we're back with our campaign, Beckons of the Herald of Steel. We're carrying on with our first adventure, The Queen, with our second quest. Hello, second quest. Um, the Way of the Queen. Uh, so, last episode, uh, the party basically got to revel in all the beauty of having completed their quest. They made a lot of friends. They got a lot of loot, got a lot of recognition, sent a lot of good people in good directions, and helped a lot of people out, being gracious for all that they've done. Um, Jarzak played with a lot of maggots. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, oh, yeah. And the queen, Alvir Garavar, has called for the entire party to go by carriage to the capital of Eagleheart. Uh, on the coast, the east coast there, uh, to go meet with her. Apparently, there's some big banquet to be planned, and it's kind of a controversial move, but with that, I mean, the party has a lot to look forward to. So I guess we just start off right off the bat. Man, these early quest episodes, we've got a lot of room to just jump right in. Uh, so anyway, in the spirit of jumping right in, I imagine the party the next morning after getting a bunch of gracious goodbyes from everybody, um, you guys are pretty much just set right off to the queen's carriage. Um, you can see that there's like a, a, a coach here dragged, uh, pulled by a series of, uh, yeah, I'll say two horses. That seems good. Two big old, big old mean horses um, pulling the coach. And there seems to be almost like a royal herald here as well as the uh, coach driver. Um, and as you guys are uh, greeted outside of the inn by the trumpeteer, the herald there, and he calls out to you guys and he says, her Royal Majesty, Queen Alvia Garivar, welcomes all four of you passengers, Norhill, Klikad, Jarzak, and Anton, to the royal capital of Eagleheart. If you would be so kind as to accept invitation, we would we will be on our way. Now I, I accept. <laughs> Graciously. Very kind. Oh. He knew my name. <laughs> is this what everybody says as they like cartoonishly leap in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What catchphrases? Very good. Um, and so as the party jump, bounce, and leap on into the uh, carriage, you guys are whisked on your way. Um, inside of here, there is prepared a small plate of spiced meats, as well as some chunks of toasted bread, some cheese, as well as a unopened bottle of wine in the back. This seems to be sitting in almost like a perpetually chilled 
marble, um, whatever you call those things that you chill wine. You know what I'm talking about? Like those champagne. It's a wine things. tasting. That's so pleasant. Yeah. That's so, so pleasant. <laughs> and so the royal colors of uh, gold and red are adorning every inch of the back here in the, in the coach. Uh, and you guys fit comfortably as all heck uh, back here. There's enough room even for Jarzak. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it looks like this trip's going to last a few days. I know Jarzak wanted to give something to Anton now that you guys are skip-scapping on guys, the way. Guys, this is, this is like the greatest carriage ride I've ever been on. I don't know if that's all going to last us three days. It, it's all... <laughs> Might also be the only carriage ride I've ever been on, so I think it's gonna stay that way, guaranteed. Indeed. Oh, you guys want to see how much like cheese we can fit in this cool ring? Jarzak <laughs> takes his ring off, <laughs> and I goes to start put a sausage to... in it instead of a finger. And yeah, just like, he's like, eh. guys, watch, watch this. Just mess it with it. And it's and gonna look out, at me like, like just I don't freeze ink out. Yeah, it's it's magical now. It's a magic sausage. <laughs> may, may I may oh. I see the ring? I don't think. Oh, that's yeah, sure. What? Why not? Well, I'm gonna take a look at it, and I'm like, well, I kind of like do like I put it on. I do a sniff at it. Well, I don't see any way it would. Yeah, it doesn't do anything. I put my tongue to it. I'm like, it doesn't taste like anything. I put my finger rub my fingers on it, and I'm like... Did, did you taste the ring? I don't know. It just it tastes like sausage. Yeah, I, I'm it telling you. It tastes like Klika's nose, Jarzak's finger, and sausage. It doesn't do anything magical, so, like, I don't know what that guy was talking about. Oddly enough, all three of those things taste remarkably similar. <laughs> it just, like, resizes. I guess that's the magic. Yeah. Well, that is shot ink out everywhere. Writing implement... I'm just going to touch all the gems. Does anything happen when I touch them? Yes, the, the color at the end of the utensil tip seems to change to the color of whatever color um, uh, gem you had poked at last. And you can see that a little dribble forms at the end of it when you poke the black one. A certain level of shine seems to come to the end of it when you hit the gray one, and the white one doesn't really seem to do anything much more than just provide a thicker tip at the ending. I scribble on the table. Whoa, okay. whoa, 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 not the fancy no. table. Here, get the tribal tat. Jarzak puts his arm out. So you, stick you, and poke. Just... So sure? Jarzak gets a nice stick and poke tattoo of a little smiley face and a lantern next to it. <laughs> yeah, this is, this, is, up. this is like the, the queen's carriage she sent to us. We probably shouldn't scribble in it. <laughs> and just scribbling on the walls. Whoa, ink. <laughs> Meanwhile, the coach driver is just like, we would like to what? What did you do? It's just ink everywhere. It's just like, we figured it out. The DM persisted. And we fought back. Um, the true victor of the day. Um, but yeah, okay. And so uh, for the next three days, the party is sort of traveling down the eastern shoreline here on their way to Eagle Heart, um, the capital city. And as you guys are following alongside the river, um, you seem to follow the path even past Southwatch, uh, the fort there, and as you guys are traveling by, even though it is, uh, you know, a rubble broken down place, even as you pass by, it almost seems like the season looks more favorably upon, upon the place, and as the leaves fall from the trees around it, uh, you can see that 
it takes on almost like this level of regality and almost this level of like refinement in, in its age as a as a port that like you almost look at it a little bit differently the second time around but after three days of travel, um, staying inside of a tiny hut as you guys are traveling, as the Royal, the Hel- Royal Herald is able to kind of spawn that with a magical wand on the travels, the party ends up at the capital city of Eagleheart. And on the third day, in about afternoon, like about noontime, you guys approach the outskirts of the city, passing by villages on the way in. Um, and Eagleheart, again, is just a massive place. And probably the most striking thing you notice as you head into the city, as all major cities on the coast would do, it kind of like gulches down towards the water. And as you guys are heading in, you can tell that the main thing that sort of, I don't know, sets up Eagleheart as being like the architectural design that it is. You can see, I mean, one, in the distance, the mountains to the south of the city that kind of like border it, um, the uh, uh, Akeratos Mountains. Um, they, against the sun's light, offer quite a level of, like, a beautiful hue, um, and it kind of, like, bathes the place in this level of a really, almost, like, Mediterranean kind of feel of sunlight, you know what I mean? Like, where it's a lot of blue on the water, but it's also, like, a bright orange from the sky and everything, um, and as you guys are, are trottling on in, even the smallest kind of little peasant houses on the outskirts and little farmer houses, I mean, they're all sort of this, like, sort of clay with, uh, how do I want to describe it, like the shingled roofs, and this place takes on a very, like, square, very cubey kind of place, but a lot of the houses are stacked up in ways that have almost, like, apartment kind of duplexy complex sort of house kind of set up, as if it's a house, uh, like, a city that was built with a lot of great architectural design to it, that even though it's very compact and built in, you can tell from the size of it that it houses a lot more people than you would expect probably like 20,000 or so people live in the city in total, which is just pretty hefty for a city and pretty hefty for Amaranth itself. Um, and so as you guys are heading down some of the streets of this place, has anybody actually been to Eagleheart before? No. I actually don't think anybody would have, right? Anton yeah, was not. busy at the uh at the monastery uh yeah i guess norhill would probably be the one that would have been there if klika hadn't at some point in her life but jarzak yeah, guess yeah the best guess for me would be klika if any of us yeah i guess if i sort of got dropped off nearby here she might have traveled through here or if this is where the um i can't remember the name of that order that the the mages there yeah, or the sort of anti-mages. Or yeah, yeah, the really. magical protector people there. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that and the goblins are kind of like to the south here. They sort of border on this territory. So it does make sense that you might have like bumped into here if you're like, well, I'm not really a huge friend of the goblins, so I guess I can make new life in this place. You walk in and you're like, oh, I'm out. Yeah. Um, too, too much for Klika. Right. Uh, it was the Tome Guard, by the way. Tone guard, yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So with that, I mean, it's a beautiful sight for everybody, and the smells of sort of like the guild halls as you guys are riding in, um, the different various smells of like baking clay and, and like heated glass, the smell of like woodworking shops and leather tanners and everything as you're heading in in this part of the city, you can tell that like this city is very much so alive and bustling, very much sort of in a contradiction to what was going on in Cooperford, where it was like. A, a town with its sights kind of aimed in one direction for business. Instead, this place is just like a, a, just a melting pot of, of culture and design. 
Um, and as you guys are heading in, the coach driver mentions to you guys, since everybody says that you've never been here before, um, apart from passing, that you're entering in through Saltwind and heading off to Bilge Basin, where you're headed over to what appears to be probably the most impressive marvel um, that you've seen, architecturally speaking. Because um, as you guys sort of bend away past a real high ridge in the city uh, and start heading down towards like the, you know, the actual bay itself, you guys can see one rising stone cliff that sort of arcs out over the bay itself. And upon it is probably the most impressive castle anybody here has ever seen in their lives. And upon it are a series of four towers that rise up way above and one center building here, like the main castle itself, um, just raises like four or five stories. And it is just a humongous piece of stonework sitting on a cliff that one would imagine that after hundreds years of sitting here, it probably would have just like broken the stones out here, but somehow, some way, it keeps itself in its, in its uh, current standing. But again, the colors of red and gold adorn this place and huge flags and whatnot. And as you guys are heading down the major city street um, and heading in, you see children running by and workers kind of like, you know, moving carts full of wares and stuff down the streets. But after a bit of driving through here, about an hour or so of heading in, you guys start to meander up that big giant cliffy ridge and pass by a bunch of different guard outposts on the way in. Uh, the, the sort of messenger here sort of barks the impressive and important business of the people inside the coach to the point that you guys are being named on like a first name basis out here. And it doesn't sound like anybody's really like in awe about the fact that it's like, oh snap, it's Quico, Jarzak, Norhill, and Anton. Oh my gosh, I hope I can meet them. But instead they're saying it, pumping up the name as if like, you guys are some like indie artist that everybody's going to know about tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so with that passing through these various gates, you eventually make it to the main part of the castle and are led in past all the guards into like the main courtyard of the castle itself. Um, and as the carriage comes to a stop, you hear a couple of knocks at the door and the door swings open real quick. And the herald now standing here back with the trumpet lets off a couple of ear splitting hardened toots of his little horn here. And as he does, um, you guys see before you uh, like rows of people just waiting outside of this carriage, almost kind of scarily so that nobody was ready to see that many people standing right outside of it. But these people all seem to be of like nobility. They all seem to be like, not of like a working class. And they all seem to be wearing like very bright and vibrant colors and fancy like clothing. Their hair seems to be done up. You see elves and dwarves and even a couple of like smaller humanoids in the mix. Um, we call them children, um, but you see them in the mix as well, and people are just kind of standing there all excited to see you guys, and the herald lowers his trumpet and he yells out, he says, heroes of the town of Cooperford are arriving to meet Her Majesty, the most highly regarded Queen Alvir Garavar, and as the queen sort of shows herself directly in front of everybody here in the most stupendously, like, ostentatious red and gold gilded dress, with just huge flowing like pieces of fabric that go all over the place, gemstones adorning every finger on her hands with huge gaudy necklace and toe. Her long, dark black hair seems to be held together in like this pin straight, super straight thing that just goes straight down. She's got something of like a princess's sort of tiara on a very dainty and delicate looking one. Though she's being called a queen, it's very delicate, not some big gaudy crown or anything like that. Um, but she stands there before you guys. And as you guys are let out of here, with the joints creaking and cracking as you get out, she sort of like holds one hand out as if to like kind of have you guys bow to her. 
in a, in a sign of respect. She kind of holds her hand out as if you're supposed to be bowing at this point. I'll bow, but I'm a little bit weary. Not gonna lie. This is kind of strange. <laughs> Jarzak bows down. <laughs> He's like the ultimate Ta- GF. <laughs> yeah, just take, takes a knee. <laughs> so shiny. Just leans over to Klika, the leader of the tribes. Normal bows, but in a way that's more greeting than deference, I guess. Okay. What you Klika, got for us, Klika gives a polite curtsy. <laughs> oh. And so with that, the queen herself just kind of stands there, never shifting her position, but still looking at each and every one of you and says... I have heard many good things of all you have done, and I wanted to greet you all myself. I am the queen, Alvir Garavard. Uh-huh. And she kind of like does almost like this weirdly over-the-top kind of like valley giggle. And she sort of like, I don't know, I don't want to say corrects herself, but she like adjusts her posture again. And she says, and I'm very happy to meet you, all of you. You are what I would say are exemplary as far as mercenaries, warriors, and adventurers go. People like you are what make my father's land and his father's land and all of the Amorothian lands what they are. If we didn't have powerful, strong, and noble heroes much like yourselves here, what would we be? And she kind of like looks around as if that's just the most profound thing ever said. And as she looks around enjoying the moment, she turns again back to you all and makes this weird kind of like little kissy face. And she's just like, so now I would like to cordially have you all come. Uh, I've prepared a banquet and it would be really great if you came in to discuss political matters. I would love to hear what you all have to say. And she just kind of like looks around at everybody as if everybody's just like waiting to hear something else come from her. Like as if like they're here because the teacher called them into the principal's office. And she like turns to everybody who's in attendance behind her and she says, that's it. I'm done. Go. And everybody just kind of like disperses and starts to applaud and cheer. The trumpeteer lets off a couple of little toots, climbs back onto his carriage, and they start to move everything back into the orderly positions. With the queen in tow with a bunch of guards and a couple of like waiting ladies, they start to bring her into the uh, main gates of the castle, and she leaves you guys kind of in the dust. And as you guys stand here by yourselves in the middle of the courtyard, you can't help but feel like you just got hired to some strange company that never had good HR or something. Because we're all just standing there like, dude, we get a fucking itinerary or some shit? Like, where the (laughs) hell am I? And you're just standing there, and everybody just goes back to their normal business, leaving you behind. Clearly, Jarzak pulls a lot more eye contact than a lot of other people do, and a lot of people just give him quite the up-down look around and they're all just kind of very much struck by him immediately. But nobody's like holding on to their purses or like grabbing weapons or anything like that. It's just seeing an orc in person in the capital within 100 feet of the queen. Kind of an alarming move, you know? And so with that, uh, one of the more wizened looking guards kind of walks over behind the group and just... Turn <clears throat> around. Hi. <laughs> oh, can, can we move now? I would hope so. Yeah, if you would kindly show us where we're supposed to be going, that would be wonderful. Sure. He says, I apologize for the queen. Um, sorry. The queen. Sorry. 
It is my it's fault okay. that I did not immediately jump to assist you. My name is Jen, and I am here to help you. And he says, if you would find, if you would follow me kindly. And so with that, he just kind of marches off, and you can see he's wearing full plate. He's got his long sword at the ready and a shield at his back. And as he kind of walks in wearing the royal colors, adorning all of his armor, clinking and clanking, he is quite the wizened and silvered old man, but he's not like old, old. He's like 55, 60, sort of, you know what I mean? Like, he's clearly not one to be the first in the battle out of like high energy, but instead like this is his homeland and he's always done this. You know what I'm saying? Knows the place more, more than most people do. And so he leads you guys in, and as you enter the main court here with huge doors pulled apart by a couple of, you know, guards, you see before you probably one of the most impressive sights you could ever hope to see. Um, there is a stained glass window that arcs up about 60, 70, 80 feet in the back room here as if like a giant cathedral, like sort of, a, a, I don't want to say like the, the sort of the shape of this room. It's just this giant long rectangular shaped room that Again, it's shaped like um, like one of those mega, like one of those huge cathedral-style church setups. And the giant stained glass window in the back shows something of a warrior with dark black hair as he's stabbing a dragon, like, straight in the heart. And the dragon itself looks impressive, though it seems to be wounded more impressively by this single blade piercing its heart. And so with that, as the head guard guy over here seems to be heading you in, he says... The queen will probably be a few moments, so if you would be so kind as to wait in one of our waiting areas, I'll get you guys when it's time to head off to dinner for the banquet, if that's all right with you. I have one question before you leave us. Thank you again for your hospitality and guidance, but I'm just curious, is this is this a normal occurrence? Bringing in local heroes to the capital of these great lands, I, I'm just a little bit surprised by it all. And so with that, he gives a bit of a nod and he says, times are strange and we do our best to make do. And he shuts the door behind him and just kind of leaves you guys in this little 15 by 15 room with a couple of benches, a table, and a bouquet of flowers that sits in the middle. Um, and you guys are pretty much closed in this room with only one way out. And there seems to be like a couple of coat racks inside of here closed off so you could put like jackets or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a room that you guys could come and kind of like unwind before the next room or whatever. Um, so is there anything you guys want to talk about now? I imagine Anton so, has something to say. Or no. So guys, uh, how many warriors do you think she bested to become the leader of the tribe? Well, she must be in so these strong. lands, Starzak, it's more of a, it's more of a birthright. Yeah, she doesn't look she doesn't look a day over the age of like 20, 19 years old. Wait, so she didn't defeat all the finest warriors in the land? Not, no. Uh, so I could kick her ass and take all the shiny blues <laughs> in the dress. <laughs> Dexter. He's like, I win! <laughs> My dress. Like, turns out it's that easy, everybody. Alright, good night, everybody. Giant beehive wig on. Oh. Seems like an odd way to determine if someone's fit to rule just by them, you know, being born. I I don't get it. Well, human ways are strange ways, but this way is particularly strange. I've never heard in, at least in my time, why would a queen invite 
nothing wrong. There's no lesser value of us, but I imagine there are much more hardy warriors in this land. Queens don't simply uh, invite... <laughs> are barely known by Cooperford. We haven't been even been there for, what, a week? She's wanting something. Either she's desperate for help or... Or, or disposable. Or goat of something else. So is she, like, important? Then? I will say that as far as, like, what everybody coming to the table as players know in, like, the campaign setting stuff, I mean, Queen Elvira Garavar, um, again, not only that she's 19, 20 years old, but her mother died a long time ago. Um, her father died of some sort of ailment that nobody really had a lot of details on. Um, apparently he was kind of locked away for a long time in his room dealing with this really rough sickness. Um, and both of his two sons died mysteriously on a hunting trip, uh, quite a, like a, a week or two, uh, preceding their father's death, leaving her pretty much the only one left to be in charge. Um, so naturally the people of Amaroth are a little bit skeptical about this whole thing. As everybody has that kind of in mind. And not to mention, she's kind of a rube. And she makes decisions like this every once in a while that, like, people just look at and they're like, we literally have to do this. And so people hope that advisors are helping. And that's kind of like a general buzz going around about that. But, yeah, this feels like her brand. And she's also set to marry uh, their, like, political rival, right? The Gorg... Gathian or no from uh, Ascabellum. It's a, a series of it's like a, a big islandy kind of place uh, to the east of here across the ocean. Um, but yeah, that is another point that there is set to be something of a political marriage between the two of them. They're not necessarily rivals. They've always kind of been pretty neutral and at peace with one another. But to make a movement to like agree on an alliance seems like something of like a political move that could potentially cause rifts with people in the south as well if the two human nations decide to like kind of become entwined and make one big ass place all of a sudden it's going to have a lot of implications for everybody else who traded freely with the people from Ascabellum. so again this girl is kind of stomping around in the neighborhoods people had trouble walking in. you know what i mean like she's just running out the gates being like yo fuck everybody and fuck rules so sitting here in the waiting room you guys are like are we fucked yeah i think we're fucked <laughs> So, so even even as far south as the two halls, uh, we've heard rumblings of the queen's strange flights of fancy, shall we say. We'll just have to do our best to survive until she until we're no longer of interest to her. Oh boy. <laughs> so she, so she did best three of their finest warriors then. Yikes. Uh, the takeaway of the day. <laughs> she did. So that well, is, wait wait so, until she gets bored. So that is how it's done here. I thought you just said it was. I don't know, man. <laughs> I think Klika's gonna try and make a flower crown out of the bouquet, and if there's not enough flowers for that, she's gonna put a flower in everybody's hair to fancy us up. I will say Klika is so adept at making clean and neat and tidy things that she's very capable of making the flower, the floral crown for herself, as well as giving everybody a flower that's particularly well fit to suit them and their overall vibe and astrological symbol. Um, oh my god, is it yellow? 
And yeah, she'll also it's a sunflower. I wonder do, why. Do some uh, mending cast on anybody's clothes that are like frayed or anything. Just get everyone touched up. Sure, I'll no, say it's supposed to look like that. Click on, stop, stop. No, Jarzak, no. No. Turns out the original. I earned form, this. Turns out the original form of this stuff, it's all like very strange looking. It doesn't look anything like it does right now. The original <laughs> form is like all shiny and pink bubble gum. And he's like, I told you not to do it. Like, yeah, but this was like brown. How did you get that dirty? Like, shut up. I earned it. I worked hard. But um, uh, and, uh, while we're waiting, Noah Hill sort of like uh, paces around the outer edge of the room, sort of like checking the perimeter. Okay. Again, you guys are like closed off in a little closet over here with really no way of seeing the outside at all. Um, so, so what do they have for like magazines in this waiting room? <laughs> Very good. Um, <laughs> ye old modern living. Um, I've read this one. <laughs> Um, just comes back to you guys just ripping all the magazines apart you've destroyed the floral pot and then they're just like what the fuck did you do it's just like, the of- <laughs> there's just writing yeah, this, everywhere this frying out the ring still the ink on we the wall just like Jarzak rules nope no with a Z with a Z <laughs> it changes the vibe god damn it um, I just light like five candles <laughs> the room's on fire. <laughs> You're like, the light. <laughs> Beckons up the light. But, okay. And so with that, the um, uh, that same old guard comes back about 30, 45 minutes later um, and greets you guys and says, ah, I can see you've all cleaned up quite nice. This is, this is good. Good news. She is on her way down to the banquet, so it would be good if we all got seated first. Um, and so with that, he leads you guys across that main cathedral chamber. You can see um, that people are kind of flooding into this room as is. And as you enter something of like a main banquet hall, you can see just just a humongous table that arcs back like 60, 70, 80 feet as is. Um, and there's already dozens of people sat evenly paced uh, at this table. Uh, no, no social distancing or anything like that. Um, not a masking site. People just living in the moment. Um, and there are... This truly I, is a fantasy world. It, it sure <laughs> is. It sure is. Um, but there's people of pretty much, again, like the same kind of walks of life that you saw outside. But the table is just adorned already with like pre-meal sort of setups with like certain like breads and cheeses and very light fare. Um, as well as just like people already kind of walking around with bottles of wine ready to tend to everybody. And as everybody sits down, um, you guys can see that like napkins are brought over. It's just a very regal affair that sitting down, everybody's getting sort of situated in a very customized way. Like nothing was there waiting for you until you sat down, which it was brought to you. But after a few moments of everybody sort of sitting down, bards begin to flood into this place. And in concert around this giant table here, you guys can hear just a concert of a bunch of different stringed instruments, some light flutes and stuff playing very easy dining music. And finally, everybody stops, and a couple of hard trumpeteers again enter the chamber, and you know, and they say, "The most honorable Queen Alvia Giravar." And so, she comes walking in in a very different dress, but it seems almost as if the dark hair she had before that was made to look so long and like so pinned down 
has been tossed up into the most honeycombed-looking, just bee's nest of a hairdo you've ever seen, just adorned with, like, a dozen red and gold gemstones, sort of looking like actual bees and little hummingbirds and stuff, kind of pinned in the hair, holding it up. And she wears something of an incredibly ostentatious dining gown. And as she comes into the chamber, everybody stands at erect and is waiting for her before they sit down. And as she takes a seat, the whole room sits back down. And she calls out um, over the process of everybody having meals brought to them and just courses after courses brought over. She stops and says, I would like to make a toast. I would like to honor our most honorable guests with a toast from the queen herself. She says, it is not often I meet such honorable people and it is not often that I get to brush elbows with the working force of the world and those who do the jobs that we dare not do. But for that, we thank you. We thank you for going into those dingy dungeons and fighting those beasts most unmentionable. And again, Jarzak feels a couple of eyes kind of like sponging all over him as she mentions that sort of line. And you can see a bunch of the hoity-toits kind of looking you over. And with that, she says, but for every one of you heroic adventurers who have succeeded, I'm sure there are any number who did not. And for that, we give thanks to those who have survived. Praise be the light and praise be all who walk in it. And hearing that kind of gives Anton like a uh, moment as she's like, uh, uh. Um, and so as that is said, people all start. Do they want me to bless the dinner? No. Is that what they're asking? <laughs> no, they're, not. they're like, it'd be great if somebody took a hint. But with that, people start blinking their little glasses and cheering over this and start to give like little here hears. And dinner continues on for like another two hours as just, oh yeah, no, man, it's a royal feast. It is just tiny meals for two hours straight. It, it's kind of more scary than anything. But after just so many foods you've never heard of, everything from freaking chocolate to lobsters, it's just so much food that you would never come into contact with. And so much food that you've seen before, you know, like Fagua and stuff like that, like goose liver, y'all eating that in here and acting like it's fancy? But either way. Was, was there chocolate starfish and rock lobsters? I, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, but with that, the uh, room kind of like comes to a close as the lady gets up, the queen there, and as she gets up to leave, she says, I would like to make a formal request that our four brave adventurers meet me in my meeting chambers. And somebody kind of like leans in on her and says something, and she says, the good meeting chambers with the big fireplace, my favorite. And she like gives kind of a clap and says, you're all dismissed. Be gone and just sort of like trudges off kind of half drunkenly in that general direction. And you guys see almost menacingly so, a group of guards just get up and start walking towards you guys on all sides, as if coming out of the shadows, and you didn't even know there were guards in this place. Like they had literally stayed in post, quiet in the dark that whole time. Um, is there anything, before I go too far away with this, was there any sort of like eating things that anybody would have describe about their characters? Anything in particular that you felt would be necessary to discuss during the courses of the meal? I'm going to be rude and keep saying, is this food going to get donated? <laughs> <laughs> every Man. time he, every time Anton doesn't finish, literally everything on the plate, he looks straight in the waiter's eyes. and like, you're going to give this to someone who needs it, right? Like every time. 
Uh, Norhill actually skips like the first two courses so that he can see how everybody else uh, goes about banqueting because I don't imagine that a dwarf banquet is at all comparable to a banquet in Eagleheart. I feel like a dwarf banquet is kind of like one of those like uh, the uh, Brazilian sort of like steakhouse kind of deals where it's just shanks of meat walking around and just carving off slabs of it for people. Right. I think it's that and like very family style where like several large dishes just get passed up and down tables and everyone just takes what they want from that and then also proteins come around on skewers and just it's a very lively and a lot of movement jarzak's just grabbing a bit of everything just taking in all the flavors and tastes just Just mixing them in ways they shouldn't mix (laughs) pretty large amount of time using mage hand to clean up jarzak's face while he eats like with his napkin and cast mending on him when he spills food all over the place. And yeah, pretty much just <laughs> making sure Jarzak doesn't become the messiest boy. And then probably one of the more telling moments during the, the meal of how everybody looks at you guys during this whole situation, as Kalika is cleaning off Jarzak's uh, mustard and ketchup covered face. Um, Which is weird because they didn't serve mustard or ketchup. He brought his own. <laughs> it's an orcish delicacy. No, the, the, the yellow is a little bit of egg yolk, and the red, I think I bit my lip. That's just blood. <laughs> and so as, as Kalika is uh, cliquing Jarzak's face off, everybody who's around the quartet of you guys, you guys can all very clearly hear uh, a woman, like two seats down, openly tell somebody sitting next to her, look how they take care of each other. It's good that those who uh, don't have the means to take care of themselves are taken care of by, well, they stick together and that's good for them. And they all kind of like nod. Every one of the like the old people over here in attendance just nodding to each other and looking at you guys like a gang of five-year-olds who are like, like you know what I mean? Like, the, like five-year-olds doing adult things but doing it terribly wrong. And everybody's just like, aw, they're trying. And so it's very clear to Anton and Norhill, Klika, and Jarzak that, like, that's the vibe as soon as that happens. So I imagine that kind of sours a lot of the potential good feelings you guys have here. But well, Anton's pissed. That's like, that's, like, supposed to be how it is. Like, being charity and light, like, the first thing you ever do is help anyone before yourself. And if they kind of look down on that, it's like, what the, what the hell? That's, like, really selfish. No, Anton's had kind of like a weird spike these last couple episodes where he's like beheading dark priests and like demanding things be donated to charity. Like, we've gone past being polite about charity. We're fucking taking it. This communism thing, Ronnie, is taking the wrong spin. You have to be nice to people. Honey, not vinegar, Ronnie. <laughs> like, just knocks the old lady out of the chair and is just like, now we can watch the charity of those around you as they help you back fucking up. <laughs> like... Why is Anson so sweaty? <laughs> but with that, the guards sort of lift you guys from chairs. Very, I will say politely and in a way that seems very much according to protocol by pulling your chairs out and helping you get up. And they sort of tell you, they're like, if you'll please come with us this way, the lady is waiting. And so you guys leave out of a doorway that you initially came out in uh, and you start heading up one of the massive spiraling stairwells up one of the towers in the probably the far left quarter of the castle. And as you guys are heading up spiral staircases for what appear to be like five or six floors, eventually you guys reach this 
large wooden reinforced door. And as one of the guards stands outside of it, and one of the guards who led you guys up here takes his post in front of it, they knock at the door, and a guard pops out, and he says, the lady is ready. And you guys all kind of pop in in your own way. Um, She's wearing can... another new dress. I'm going to flip out. <laughs> it sure is. It's an evening dress. She's wearing something of like this very decadent robe that follows her about 20 feet behind. And she sits here without the honeycomb hair and instead back to the down long black. And as she sits there in her leather bound chair in front of the fireplace with what appears to be a dragon's head mounted and stuffed over the fireplace, there's dozens of bookshelves in this place. And it is just like a really fancy looking chamber, but it almost has like the simplicity and regality of a room where somebody's made some very difficult decisions. You know what I mean? It's not a room that's sort of like all about its fancy appeal. Like it looks like it's bare bones enough that this is a room for thinking and not a room for looking. You know what I'm saying? And so the lady sits here with a bottle of port on a small table and there's a series of other leather bound chairs sort of in like a, a council circle over by the fire ready and waiting you guys. And as you guys approach, she tells the guard and she says, oh guard, please leave. Vacate the premises and leave this floor. I have important business to speak of with my new friends. Oh, Did you guys, say vacate this is, the floor? Yeah. Fuck. And so they do, nodding, looking everybody over and recognizing y'all are still armed, armored, and like ready to, to go. And so as they close the door... This is she... it, Jarzak. <laughs> yeah, this is You're where... You're beehive. The... And no, so this is that... where the leader of the tribe challenges us and puts us back in our place to make sure we don't step up to her. She's just in there like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> oh, that's not, that's not what this is. But with that, they close the door and she says, please come sit down. I don't want to have to throw my voice into a hoarse tones in order to talk to you. Please take a seat. Clica opens the port and serves everybody. Uh, nice afternoon helping, or an after meal helping of uh, dessert wine for everybody, and then she sits down. And so Wendell is sure to take a seat where he can watch um, all of the entrances and exits to the room. Jarzak's gonna beeline it. Jarzak's gonna beeline it to the closest chair to her. I'll sit wherever's available. Sits on her fucking lap. (laughs) Very aggressive straight line right to that one. Okay. And so as the group sits around in these seats, she looks around at you guys and she says, I suppose this is what it's all about, yes? Being adventurers and getting to meet those who rule the land. Perhaps someday yearning for a slice of what I have and what you have not. I can only imagine what it's like to not have things like that and have to risk your life every day. I'm very grateful for the fact that I don't have to risk my life in the way that you do. Of course, my neck is on the line in very different ways than you all. Of course, my food could have been poisoned at dinner. Somebody could have snuck in the carriage or underneath it. But you know what? If I live my life in fear, what queen would I be? And for the first time, it kind of feels like she's almost saying something that's very much like, you know, she's got a point. You know what I mean? Like she's saying something that actually clicked and stuck and it didn't feel dumb. It didn't feel like, like it felt like she's almost letting her guard down and saying something that makes sense to come from a queen. You know what I'm saying? What was Jarzak going to say? Uh, Jarzak was just going to say, yeah, the leader of the tribe always has to watch their back. And she turns towards Jarzak, who's 
kind of eerily close. And she says, yes, and you know, Drummer Zach, I think you might be the one that I need to speak to a little bit more closely in this whole ordeal anyway. For you see, I did bring you here for a purpose. And as I'm sure you may have surmised in some degree or extent, this kingdom is not in a safe place. And with me now taking the throne, things are in fact in a strange and rather tumultuous spot. I come to you all with a proposition. I need people like you. I need adventurers and I need heroes. One, to adorn my court and to make me look like I'm in the company of heroes. But also, there are many things that need to be done. Things that cannot have the Amarothian army at their doorstep. Things that need subtle hands and smart moves. I need people like you. People I can trust. People who have a lot of experience but much room to grow. I need your assistance. And she just kind of slowly pans the room looking at each and every one of you and she says, I don't know what exactly brought you all together, but Cooperford is very important to our region as we stock a lot of our wares into barrels and pass them down the rivers that adorn Amaroth. And without them, our war efforts would be on quite the strain. We are on the forefront of another war. And I'm afraid it doesn't look like one that's going to be ended quite easily. And again, as she turns to Jarzak, she says, it is with the people of Gorgareth. And so Jarzak, while I trust that if you were to be the brutish orc that I fear from Gorgareth, you probably would have made some sort of a move to behead me at this point already. Judging by the fact you are willing to help people in Cooperford and travel in the company of these three, I feel that I can trust you, and I hope that they can trust you as well. And she kind of just looks for everybody for some level of confirmation that, like, you do trust him, right? Norhill nods solemnly. And so with that, she says, I have heard word that forces of Gorgareth are planning a strike on Glory Wake in the upcoming weeks. And it looks like a location with which to spearhead an assault on the West, as they know our West Coast is not very well defended at this point in time. For this reason, I'm looking to try and circumvent as much of this as I can. I'm hoping that with your help, we can sort of make an example of the Gorgorethians and maybe squash an assault on them. We have hired many spies, many orcish spies in Gorgareth to give us information. And many of the fishermen and those who watch the coast in Glory Wake have seen lots of orcish vessels sort of scouting the waters and looking for the best place to perhaps raid our shores. And we think we know exactly where they will be arriving. I don't imagine that it will be fleets of hundreds of orcs, but it will be enough that I think we will not farewell in glory wake and if i move an entire militia to go defend that area the people of amaroth may be afraid and they may not handle it very well especially if i am supposed to be the one heading our war efforts i don't know if you've perhaps caught word of this but many people do not appreciate how i have 
currently attained my status as queen, and a lot of people don't appreciate my doings as queen. If I've learned anything from my father, it is that sometimes what you don't understand is that which you can trust the most. For those with the greatest of power understand that which you must understand less. Do you understand? No. Seems to check check out. Everybody's like, yeah, yes, definitely. And so I understand. Then, I understand that Glory Rake must be protected from foreign invaders who seek to land on your shores. That's at least something I can wrap my mind around. And so she says, "I have a plan, and I think it is absolutely fitting for me as queen to have things work in this way." if you'll hear me out. I plan on making an example of the orcs that land on my shore by eviscerating them with the power of a beast that many fear only to see in their nightmares. And its vision in the prime material plane is something that haunts those who have ever heard its screeches in the swamps. I would like you all to do me a favor. It's not going to be easy but you will be repaid healthily. I wish for you all to capture a beast most foul. There is a hydra deep in the swamps to the west, and I only know of it through legends and lore, but if legends serve true, that hydra, if placed properly, would make for one very interesting piece in my military. And through the powers of magics that I know that exist, I don't think the orcs would even see such a beast coming. Now, of course, as she looks around the room, she says, I know you're not all exactly in a position to be battling Hydra, let alone capturing them. And that's why I wish to call upon one of my father's oldest and most trusted magical allies. Unfortunately, I don't believe that he offers me the most amount of trust, and especially not now after my father's passing. But I think you may be able to speak with him, for he will know how to do such a thing. Now, I know that this sounds terrifying, and I know that this sounds like quite a bit of a dangerous task, and it is, but if you can do me this favor, I promise you, you will all be rewarded, not only monetarily, and not only with the high applause and accolades of the people of the region, but you may stop a war that could destroy much of this land itself. Now, Norhill, I understand that your people are going through something of a plight in its own right, and I promise you that if you help me, I will do everything I can with the resources I have freed up from not being involved in that war to do what I can to help the dwarves. You have my word. I'll hold you to that. Uh, Should this task be achievable, so she turns to kind of everybody else in the room and she says, what say you? And she looks to Kalika. Um, yeah, Kalika will do it. I don't know why that's so funny. I'm <laughs> just, just like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, okay. And then she turns to Jarzak and she says, I know that this might be difficult for you to hear us talking about the orcs of Gorgareth in such a way as to pitch them as being evil beasts, but 
it seems to me you have your reasons for being here, which I will not pry into. But if you are to be as honorable as the people of Gorgareth are, I think that you can earn quite a lot of glory and quite a lot of honor through this task, as well as many other that this kingdom would need you to help me do. I mean, this this is in Jarzak's favor as well. Less orcs for me to defeat later, to take over the tribes. So with a lifted eyebrow, she turns away from you and looks at Anton, and she says, Now, if what I've heard about you is correct, Glory Wake is in fact a very close place to your heart. I laid down quite a bit of blackmail at that place by sending that guy Shereel over there, so it better mean something to you that that place is going to get blown up. I'm just kidding. But she says, I fear that Glory Wake will not be spared in any way, shape, or form, and it being one of the larger and more settled places in our kingdom, I think the orcs of Gorgareth may make a point about raising the city itself. So... I left... What? I left my home in order to protect it. If I must return to protect it, I will. I only worry that Hydra is a creature of its own will and decision-making. I don't know if there's enough magic to keep it from turning against us, even if we were to use it as a pawn against the orcs. She says, well, there is one man that I trust, the mage. He has certain magic spells. He's a transmuter. He's a very clever man. In fact, titled as such. His name is Ortiglare the Clever. He is a man who has magical means, much like many wizards have, but he has mastered his craft in a way that many can't imagine. While some may have spells to shrink, he has magics that could turn your common draconically sized hydra into something more, something less than a figurine upon your palm. Now, I wouldn't send you to any other wizard, and I would never trust anybody else with such a plan other than Ortiglare. And so you must trust me that I have thought this plan through, and I would not make such a bold claim as to capture a hydra unless I knew such a thing would work out well for us in the end. I will trust in your plan and meet with your wizard. And so with that, she sort of offers you guys all a bit of instruction on how to reach Hortaglare, and he is in the, uh, the south, sort of closer to the, to the center of Amaroth itself, sort of an in-between between Glory Wake and Eagleheart over near Flaremouth. And um, with that, after giving you guys these details, she basically just kind of offers you guys uh, um, whatever it might be that you need for traveling supplies or, or anything of that regard before heading out and offers you guys mounts if you would prefer to have those for your travels. And yeah, basically wishes you on your way and just says as you guys are on your way out that you know, no pressure, but we're all counting on you. And that's where we're going to end it tonight. Hey, everybody. It's the young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.